Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the 37th Psalm, the 37th Psalm. As we look at God's Word together, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but I believe that they are trying to pipe the smell of the chicken dinner in here. Those of you up in the gathering, I hope they're not doing that to you as well. Um, this might be one of the most difficult messages for me to deliver with that smell in these rooms. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's ready for a chicken dinner, right? Hey, more for me if you're not eating there, but I'm ready for a chicken dinner. We're thankful for those who have uh, volunteered this morning. They're working out there right now to get everything prepared. And uh, it would be a great time of um, coming together, fellowship, and supporting our youth in just a few minutes. But Psalm 37, Psalm 37, as we look at God's Word today, I want to talk to you about the relationship that you have with God, especially as it relates to the marketplace. Over the last few weeks, you know that we've talked a lot about our relationship to God, and we have focused upon the Psalms because they demonstrate to us what an intimate, close relationship is. We see from personal testimony, the testimony of all of the psalmists, how they have related to God and how they instruct us as we relate to God. Now, we also know that our relationship with God is an ongoing relationship. In other words, it doesn't just end when you leave the church building. Last week, you were here, some of you were, and heard a wonderful message, right? Everybody say amen. I need the affirmation. Amen. We talked a little bit about how the word worship and the word service in the scripture, well, it's one and the same. You can't just, when you see the word, you have to decide, am I going to translate this worship or am I going to translate this service? Why? Because true worship is service. Like it's not just contained in a one-hour event. Now, some of you may look at 40 verses this morning and say it's going to be longer than one hour today. But worship is not just contained in a building it's not just contained in a set moment during the week. Worship should embrace all of our service every day. Now look, if we're going to worship Him, if we're going to serve Him every day, that means that many of us are going to serve Him in our workplace. And we're going to worship Him in our workplace. I have read different stats. Some people say that we spend about half of our time at work half of our lives at work and I'm convinced if you have a child or grandchild between the ages of 5 or 18 you spend the other 30 to 40 percent on a ball field or at a music recital or somewhere else right but you spend so much of your time at work or in some work context whatever you do some of you this morning say no me hey I'm retired I can see the smile on some of your face nope if God has given you breath, you still work in some way. You still work in some way. And God calls you to serve him through that work. We want to see God in the work and know that God is in our work. Now, the psalmist in this 37th Psalm, I think he speaks to us. He gives us counsel about how we can demonstrate God, how we can have the right attitude concerning our work as we maintain our relationship with the one above. So look, if you will, let's look at the first two verses of what the psalmist says. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. 
For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So here's David giving you again an insight into who he is and his relationship to God. And he basically says, he's, it's like he's speaking to all of us. And he says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious, he says. So I want you to hear this this morning. When you think about who you are and your relationship at work and, and what's going on, I, I want you to hear what David says. David looks at his audience and he says to them, get over it. Get over it. Look, have you ever wanted to tell somebody to just get over it? Maybe this is a question. Have you ever wanted somebody to look at you and say, get over it? That's a strong term to use. I mean, the idea of just getting over it. it it's a strong term. And yet, I think that captures what David says here. David says, do not fret. Literally, if you were to look at the original language, it means something like, do not become heated. Do not become heated. Now, this probably never happens to you. Because, I mean, this would never happen in the church life. For me as a pastor, some of you look and say, you're so disconnected from work and, you know, being a pastor and all that. You know, you work on Sundays, that's it. How can you relate to us on the rest of the week? And, and I, know, I know you think I can't relate in this way, but, and I know you think it can never happen. But probably even in the church life, you can get heated from time to time. And in your work, in what you've done, you've probably gotten heated before. You've probably fretted before in such a way that you've gotten heated because you look around and you see people and they're just not doing what they should be doing. Now, I'm not saying all of them are evildoers. I'm not saying that. I've got a few on staff, Dale, others that might be. But, <laughs> but you, you also look around and you see people that aren't doing what they suppo are supposed to be doing and, and, and you start getting heated about it. And here in particular, what David is saying about life, about, about life in general, which again applies to the workplace. So many of us every day spend our time there. Don't get heated because of these people that you see that are just doing some bad things. Just don't get heated over it. Don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. Especially, he says, don't be troubled about their success. See, that's where the heat comes from so often. That's where the envy comes from so often. That's where the jealousy comes from. You look at these people and you, and you know their lifestyles and you know what they're doing. And sometimes they're manipulating situations. Sometimes they have embraced immoral practices even in the workplace. And yet it seems like they continue to succeed. You've had those experiences all of us have. And too often, we've gotten heated. We look at it. We say, God, how could they succeed in such a way? God, why do they keep getting the promotions? God, why are they in leadership positions? God, why? Because, God, it seems like everything that they do 
is so against you and opposed to your kingdom that, that they couldn't receive such blessings. God, it just doesn't seem right that they continue on in the way they are. And David just looks at us and all of us in this place who felt that way and he says, look, you, you just need to get over that. Don't get heated. Don't fret. Don't do that. He says, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withers the green herb. We're going to talk about perspective in a moment. But a little insight into David. David says, hey, don't worry about that. I know who's in control. And it may look like they're succeeding for this moment, for this temporary moment. But see, in the long run, well, in the long run, they, they stand before God. So he says, you don't worry about all those things. Too many of us in the workplace, too many of us every day in doing what we're doing, we're too concerned about others instead of concerned about ourselves. You know, we live in a broken world. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see sin all around us. I mean, we really should not be. I, I know all of us, or at least most of us, are appalled at some of the things that are happening in our culture including this pastor who's standing here behind this pulpit. And yet, none of us should be surprised that those who are unbelievers would embrace sin in such a way. None of us should be surprised by that. Because get this, before we knew Christ, we were apt to choose what was wrong and what was sinful. But the difference is now Christ has come into our life and he has saved us and the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us the truth. And now we can seek him in such a way as we should. You see, we shouldn't be appalled. We shouldn't be fretting. We should just recognize we live in a broken world. A world that does not share our values nor our purposes. A world that does stand against the kingdom of God. We shouldn't fret about that. We should know that our God is still on the throne and that there is an eternity that we're going to talk about, an eternity to come. Also, if you look over in verse 8, David reminds us. He says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, same language, because why? It only causes harm. It only causes harm. When you get so worked up over all these other people that aren't doing their jobs, or perhaps they have embraced immorality, and they're going about it and they're succeeding, you're getting mad about all those things, it only harms you. That's the thing about envy. That's the thing about getting heated. When you get mad in such a way, you won't harm somebody else, right? I mean, really, come, come on. Okay, some of you... I've never wanted to harm anybody in my life. <clears throat> yes, you did. The reason you were jealous, the reason you were envious, the reason you, re you really wanted to stick it to them. Yes, you did. There's probably a list somewhere, hopefully not in my Bible, where I've got a people, you know, that through the year, yeah, because they're just succeeding and it seems like nothing's happening and, and you know their lifestyle. And, but when you hold on to that envy and that anger and that heat in your life, 
It only harms you. It doesn't harm the other person. It harms you. It is like an acid that will eat away at your heart. So what David says, get over it. Just recognize there are some people who have embraced certain things. And yes, they may be succeeding by worldly values, by worldly standards. But you just need to get over it. And this is what he says as he continues on in verse 3. He says, what you need to do is get God in it. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. He says, trust in him. He says, delight in him. He says, commit yourself to him. All of this, rest in the Lord. The idea is that in my workplace, in what I'm doing, every day, I should get God involved in my life. God in everything that I do. That I'm trusting Him. That I'm believing Him. That I'm committing myself to Him. The word commit in particular means to roll a burden upon Him. To roll your cares, to cast your cares. In other words, if I'm having these issues and I'm looking around at all these other folks and it seems like they are progressing, they are advancing, they're having success, and yet they have embraced that which is wrong and immoral, instead of me getting heated about it or fretting about it, what I need to do is just get God involved in the situation and say, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to dwell in you. God, I'm going to believe in you. In everything that you do in the marketplace, you need to trust him. Get this again. You and I have trusted our God for salvation. We have trusted him with our eternity. We've said to him, God, we give you our lives. We believe you. We believe that your son came and died on the cross for us and rose the third day. We believe all those things, and we have trusted you, and we have given you our lives. We believe that one day we will dwell with you in, for eternity. That's what we've said, right? As for believers, that's what we've said. So listen to me. If you can trust God with your eternity, you can trust God with your here and now. If you can trust God to provide for you spiritually, you can trust God to provide for you materially. If you can trust God to be the station of your life, to be the fortress of your life, if you can trust Him to provide what is necessary for your salvation, then I promise you that our God is strong enough to work out whatever it is every day in our workplace. So trust him. Dwell in him. Testify of him. Trust him and testify. If I'm going to get God into my work, God into my business, I'm going to trust him and I am going to testify of him. 
the passage here. The passage here says, verse 6, He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The idea is that you will shine. Your works and who you are will shine before others. It might get cloudy. You ever had a cloudy day in your life? Absolutely. It may get cloudy. The cloud, it seems like all the things going on, the circumstances, the events, the, the world itself, it can grow cloudy. And the clouds can, for just a time, for just a time, obscure your light. But what David says is that one day, hopefully, prayerfully, your testimony, who you are, will shine just as brightly as the noonday sun. The cloud will pass away, it will move, and you should be shining. You should give a testimony of him where you are, wherever you are, even in the workplace. Now, I know some of you are looking again and saying, hey, this is where you as a pastor, you are just disconnected with the rest of the world, and you're disconnected with my life. Because, Pastor, it's so easy for you to talk about God. You're paid to do that. I mean, everybody knows the preacher is going to talk about God. That's the reason a lot of people won't sit by you when you're out at a restaurant or something like that, you know. <laughs> Trust me. I went on a cruise once, had great friends till they found out I was a pastor, and then they moved to another table, I think. <laughs> you to talk about God but you just don't understand my workplace that's not the way it is there are very there are sensitivities my workplace doesn't allow us really to share our faith when you are called to Christ when you accept him when you become a believer when you become a child of the Father above, that is not just a temporary relationship you move in and out of. In other words, you're not just a believer when you're at home. You're not just a believer when you come on Sunday morning. God has called you to be His child and to be His child daily. So, Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are a believer. You are a child of God. It doesn't matter what's going on. We don't check in and check out of the relationship. I told you this is all about the relationship. We don't, we don't check in and check out of the relationship. Now, think about it. Think about this example for a moment. Let, let's say on Sunday morning, I want everybody to know that I am married to Leslie Neves Bridges. I am married to her. Some of you are like, whoo, proud to know that now. I was expecting you to be married. Say Tuesday morning, something comes around. Somebody says, hey, uh, do you know Leslie? No, I, you know, I've seen her around. She's a wonderful lady, beautiful lady. No, I, I don't really, I don't really know her that well. If I said that on Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, 9 a.m., it would be on Facebook by 9.02 a.m., <laughs> on Twitter by 9.01 a.m., 
the church would be calling a business meeting. We would have deacons council that night. I mean, it would be a big issue. Why? Because I had not affirmed the relationship that I have with Leslie. But if I were to come before you and the deacons and say, Hey, well, you know, this relationship I have with Leslie, it's kind of off and on. Yeah, kind of married, kind of not. You know, we're just off and on just from time to time. Yeah, that would satisfy your concerns, right? You say, that, that seems ridiculous. Let me say this. How ridiculous is it for us to say on Sunday morning, Yes, we serve the Lord. But on Tuesday... We deny it in some way, or at least we don't affirm it because we never say anything about him. We never even portray him in our lives. We have totally disconnected our relationship with God from our work. The early disciples never could envision people, envision individuals that would not testify of Christ. They could not do it. It would never even cross their mind that there would be a believer that would not testify of who their Lord was. They were compelled. They had seen Christ. They had known Him. He had changed their lives. And if that happens, and if you're in a relationship with Him, then you ought to testify of Him. Your, your works and your words should somehow shine as the noonday sun in people's lives. Now, I'm not telling you to be obnoxious. As a matter of fact, would you say that with me? I will not be obnoxious. Say this with me. I will not be obnoxious. Thank you. There are too many obnoxious folks that we see around. What I like to see, and what I pray that we are, are that we are authentic believers in Christ. Who are not obnoxious. We're just in love with him. And we can't help from showing it. And who we are. And what we do. Yes, in our actions. But also in our words. When people look at our lives. They take examination. When we go through trials. And they say something like, how could you do this with such peace? I hope and pray that we would be able to answer back. It's because we know the Lord of the universe. We don't just know of him, we know him personally. He's intervened in my life already for salvation. I believe he'll intervene in my life to see me through this. That's the God I serve. He loved me so much he sent his one and only son to die for me. If he wouldn't hold back his one and only son, just think what he's willing to do, even now. Those are the conversations to testify of him. So in your work and what you're doing, get God in it. Get God in it. And finally, I just say this, in the last of these verses, there are a lot of them, but I really think he says that you need to get perspective about it. You know, get over some things. Get over some things, get God in it, and just get some perspective about what work really is. What it truly is. Let me read a few of these verses for you. Verse 9, it says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bow shall be broken. Little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright. Their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows, does not repay. But the righteous shows mercy and gifts. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. Listen to this perspective David has about life and work and it's such a different perspective. Listen to what he says. He says, hey, when you think about who you are and what you're doing and your work, he says, just know this. First, it's not about money. It's not about money. Notice verse 16. He said, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. It's not just about money. Now, all of us like to get paid, don't we? Hey, I am thankful I get paid, okay? So don't take this one thing and use it out of context, all right? Some of you at the next budget meeting say, hey, he said it's not about money. I mean, don't be paying him. All of us like to be paid, and there's something biblical about working in order to get paid so you can survive. Yes, yes. But listen, your work and who you are, it's not just about money. It's not just about that. That's what he says here. Now, there's nothing wrong with God giving a person success. Not anything wrong with that at all. As long as we recognize that every blessing, every good gift comes from above. It's not about money, though. I mean, he goes on to say that God's going to take care of his people. Verse 25, he says, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Did you hear that? David said, I've been young and now I'm old. And let me just tell you this. I have never seen God's people out begging for bread. God takes care of his people. It's not about money. Just know this. God is going to take care. He is going to provide. He is going to give everything that is necessary for your livelihood and for mine. So have that perspective. It's not about money because God... My God above is going to provide. He's going to take care of me. And he is going to give me the opportunity that I need. God's going to do that. So it's not about money. Also get this about your work. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my building my kingdom. Too many of us are trying to build our own kingdoms instead of building his kingdom. It's not about me. Notice again, it says in verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. See, if it's about me, what do I do? I just continue to accumulate things and accumulate things and accumulate things. But 
if I recognize that my work and my job is not just about how much I can provide for myself, if I recognize that God has given me this blessing so that I can meet others' needs, so I can help, so I can give, I mean, what a liberating moment that is in our life. The righteous is not just to accumulate and make things that, about me, but actually, what can I do now to bless others because I have been so blessed? I think that's the reason God allows us to experience work and everyday life and to go about that relationship. Look, even in what I'm, what I'm earning and what I'm doing, it should be, how can this help build the kingdom? How can this continue? How can I demonstrate the love that I have for Christ in this relationship. How can I give? And the reason we give is because we are reflecting the character of our Heavenly Father. Verse 26, when he had said about how earlier he had said he would not allow his people to go around begging bread. In verse 26 it says, because he, that is God, is ever merciful and lends. And his descendants are blessed. In other words, he has the character of giving. And oh, how he's given. You would say that our Father above has given till it hurts. And giving his only son for us. And if he has that heart... How his people should have that heart. That as we look at it, as we think about it, our work and what we're doing and the resources that we have, hey, they're not ours anyway. They all come from him. He just wants us to manage it and give and be gracious. So what can I do? How can I use my job, my place, to further the kingdom. And then this perspective, I think, as we close. It, it, it's not about money. It, it, it's not about me. It's not about, it's not about more. More of what we see around here. What is it about? It's about eternity. It's about eternity. To understand what I'm doing in my workplace. How I witness. How I share. Everything impacts eternity all these verses I read and even as you read through the rest of this psalm this is David's perspective David's perspective is we're living for eternity you know we're fretting so often about the temporal things about the things here and we're experiencing now but you and I if we're saved in Christ it we're not living just for here and now. Now, it, it's good. It's good. The joy and the peace and all the things. But get this. Nothing intended by this. But your best life is not now. Your best life is going to be realized in eternity. I'm not made just for now. To how I'm going to succeed or all the things I'm going to have. Friends, I have been made for eternity itself. And I have future and I have a hope. And that's the reason when David's talking about this, don't worry about all these other things. Don't worry about... He says, because what God is going to do is He is going to bring everything to an end. 
And those who have stood against him, he says, they will be dealt with. That's what he says. You let God take care of those things. You live for eternity. And listen, try to take as many people with you as you can. Try to take as many people into eternity with you as you can. Because this is an eternal significance. Every day, people you work beside in the cubicle, people that you're out helping dig holes, people that you're teaching with, those people, those people have been created for eternity as well. And what they need to hear is the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can embrace Him. My perspective every day should be, how can I lead others to the relationship I have with Christ? How can I lead others to a relationship and joy? Every day, it should be, what could I do? God's blessed me in this way. What can I do to help build the kingdom? Because it's not just about here and there. God, thank you for the blessings of here and now. But God, thank you also for the hope and the assurance and the confidence of the future. As David sums it up in verse 38, But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. We are out doing good works. We are out allowing our testimonies to shine. Not in order to gain our salvation, but rather to declare our salvation. We give our testimony. So that others will know the eternal dynamic that is present in our lives and in theirs. We call them not to just live good lives. Goodness never saves anyone. But we call them to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and to experience his salvation. May we get that perspective about what we do. May we have the perspective of heaven itself active in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for giving us livelihood, opportunity, work. Thank you that we can integrate our relationship with you into everyday life. God, challenge us now. Those who, Lord, have not been saved, may they be saved today. Those who are, may we give witness to you not only today as we gather as a congregation, but may we give witness to you tomorrow as we walk into the marketplace, as we work, walk into the work venue. God bless us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.